Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes And the Oscar to. goes to. Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as instructed. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV. Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me for this very, very special episode recording, it's our one-year anniversary celebrating next Best Picture. I have Michael Schwartz. Happy birthday to us. Isn't there like a second line to that? <laughs> Michael, I think you've well, I was told I wasn't allowed to sing full songs in this podcast anymore, so we're leaving it. I thought we line. I thought we invited you to sing full songs in this podcast. I thought we requested Yeah, you're the you. one that said I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> we'll save that for next best karaoke coming soon. Oh man. We're gonna have lots of callbacks in this episode, I feel like, to previous times on the podcast. Uh, with that said, also too, you might have heard him just now. That is Will Mavity. Hello everybody. All right, gentlemen, 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 we made it a full 365 days. We are recording this on September 2nd, and on September 1st of 2016, we officially launched Next Best Picture with, might I add, the the original trio here, the three of us, and... You know, there's a lot of reminiscing uh, that we're going to do on this episode. We're going to also review the trailer from Mark Felt and also talk about what's going on on the festival circuit, answer some fan questions, talk about last week's poll and this week's poll as well. But the first thing I uh, just want to bring up just to commemorate this uh, milestone for us is, do you guys remember our first episode last year our review was the light between yeah. oceans <laughs> oh god what a film alicia vikander really likes that labor day weekend <laughs> oh god I, something tells me that she did not see tulip fever getting released in labor day 2017 when she shot that though that's true that's very true um and i also saw that recently and it's um oh you saw it yeah. Oh my god. I'm so it's, sorry, Matt. It wasn't the worst thing I've seen this year. I'll say that. It's uh it's a 2 out of 10 movie instead of a 1 out of a 10 for me. <laughs> hey, let me let me tell you that much. But it's it's pretty bad. So you didn't like it as much as Alicia Vikander's mother's friend. No. Who called <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. Oh, I saw another Oh, Matt, were you the one who posted it too where Harvey Weinstein was having like Jody Picoult and a couple other authors? give their thoughts on the film because he couldn't get yeah. critics all yep. of this nation's most acclaimed authors have seen tulip fever Ugh. and he goes they're not saying it's citizen kane or shakespeare in love 
No. And it's 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 like uh, it's the new thing because Win River did that too. They're like Dennis Lehane and James Patterson say the following about you know like it's bizarre. <laughs> That's like a new phenomenon, I guess. Now it's like, well, if we can't get critics to say it, I guess we'll get offers to say it because they are the next uh, people whose opinion is like. I suppose we trust in this world. <laughs> it's like, you know, if people are going to put their money where their mouth is and say, or at least uh, I, maybe not money where their mouth is. That, that's the wrong analogy. <laughs> people are going to uphold what it is that they're saying about how we made this movie for fans and not for critics. They should totally put fans reactions on the fucking posters. <laughs> yeah. What? Cuckboy420 from Reddit saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would go great. That would be great. Imagine you just get like one that just says Alicia Vikander is so hot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, actually, that's happened before. I don't remember what film it was, but like two years ago, if you look carefully, uh, all the quotes in the trailer are YouTube comments. Really? I'll have to find it, but I know for a fact it exists. Damn, that's crazy. Um, you know, it's amazing too because um, I remember not particularly liking The Light Between Oceans that much. Like, I was kind of split in the middle. I think I gave it like a five out of 10 or something like that. But I rewatched it once in the last year and I actually liked it more on a rewatch. I mean, it's not actively bad, it's just also not very good. Yeah, I think that had maybe some expectation behind it. And I think that's why I probably liked it more on a second viewing because. I'll tell you this, the, the the third act is atrocious. I really don't like the time jump. I really don't like where the story goes. And the makeup. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, man. That was rough. Yeah. Now, I like that movie. Uh, maybe not as much as I did a year ago. I was just maybe riding a wave of hype or something like that. But I still think it's pretty decent. She's good in it. Fassbender's good, of course. Uh, Rachel Weisz was very interesting in that. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it's amazing how our um, first year also happened to coincide with what has probably been the most memorable Oscar season of my life, I would say. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, you know, I would say ultimately the five, I wouldn't say the season itself was that memorable. It was just the climax. So it did, we did, we were here for the most memorable Oscars. But, like, I would say the season before and the season before that were a lot more wild because we it didn't feel until the very end this year like we had a race. Whereas the two years before, you know, the spotlight, big, short, revenant battle and before that, boyhood versus Birdman. And actually before that, gravity versus 12 years a slave. You know, and I think that's why, obviously, this was so shocking this year because it didn't feel like there was a race. It seemed like it was going to be a clear cut. We were predicting, like, 12 wins for La La Land. Yeah, and we predicted La La Land pretty much from, like, this time last year onward. So, yeah. But we, we came in for the most memorable Oscars, certainly, of my lifetime. Definitely. Uh, I have a first fan question here we got quite a bit of uh, fan questions this week and i want to just personally say thank you to all the fans that continue to write into us continue to provide us with their feedback and their support they vote on our polls they said comments and on the blog i mean like you guys are absolutely the best and we thank you so so much um to quote uh, the movie the omen it's all for you Ooh, I don't, I don't like that. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> These connotations. You're inviting a Kathy Bates in as one of our fans now. I don't know if I want that. But also too, um, I want to just also say to our amazing eight 
contributors here at Next Best Picture. Uh, 169 podcast episodes, 259 movie reviews, and 501 blog posts over the course of 365 days. Um, from the bottom of my heart to the, both of you and the others that are listening right now that have helped to contribute to Next Best Picture over the course of this last year, thank you. So, with that said, the first fan question comes from Kyle at KBaileyJobber2 on Twitter. What was your favorite moment of the podcast over the last year? Discussion, funny moment, or, in quotes, fight. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, I liked when Michael kept classifying things in genres that clearly were not the genre they belonged. Subgenres? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, like, it culminated with him preparing, with Matt preparing to kill him until Michael revealed he was joking. He's like, best action film of the year, La La Land. Do you oh, remember God, that? Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, the NBP Film Awards. <laughs> Jesus that Christ. That had a man riding a bicycle oh, over a freeway. You know, God. as much fun as those were... I dreaded those almost every single week oh, they simply took so because long. I thought I was going to reach through like my digital com- you know computer landscape and somehow my fist would come through Mike's computer and just clobber him in the face. I <laughs> Oh my Ugh. goodness. And then wait a minute, he he might be listening right now. Mike Vermette still to this day the thing that I remember so much about that was him claiming that La La Land was his number one favorite comedy of the year oh, yeah. yeah I love La La Land and I love Mike but I don't know if I <laughs> yeah, can get on board those last that. 20 minutes are fucking hilarious right I yeah. remember I went to uh, Schwartz and I was like Michael I need you to tell me your favorite it was it was action hero or superhero film so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this broad <laughs> you know and I remember tell me if I'm wrong I think your choices were Ghostbusters, Hidden Figures, and Sully. <laughs> that sounds about right. Oh, God That's damn. not the definition of what I was asking oh, for. I, and I stand by them. They are heroes. Uh, I'm not going back to this. I'm just not. I'm, it's in the past. I've moved on. I've forgiven you. I've absolved you of all your crimes, and this is where we are. <laughs> I'd say my favorite moment. I, I have two. I have two favorite moments over the last year. Uh, one was when Michael finally revealed to us on the show that he saw Logan and that he actually liked it. Um, and my reaction might have been the most genuine reaction I think I've ever had on the show because I just I, – I think I screamed actually. <laughs> yeah, and I almost fell out of my chair because uh, I couldn't believe that – I couldn't believe actually, Michael, that um, – that you liked Logan more than Wonder Woman, actually. That was the thing I think that surprised me the most. Well, here we are. Yeah, because Logan is, like, so not your movie, but I think because it's so much not a superhero film and it's more of a Western that is deconstructing the superhero movie genre much in a way that, like, Unforgiven did for the Western genre back in the early 90s, I think that, like, that's why people have responded to Logan so much, I think, over the course of this year. Well, it's funny because those comparisons are sort of what turned me away from it in the beginning. I'm not a huge superhero fan, and frankly, I'm not a big Western fan. So when people were saying it's more of a Western, well, that didn't really do much to sell me on it on that side. So I pretty much stayed away from it in theaters, thought I'd catch it at home, which I did, and I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. The next one we got to get you on is we got to get you to see It Comes at Night when it comes out on uh, 
like Blu-ray or something. I'd consider that it's a short movie, right? Yeah, it's it about, is. It's not a long one. Ninety minutes or something. It's it's. I would say it's um. It's not even like a horror film, so to speak. It's more of a, a drama between two families that you know just reaches boiling points. <laughs> I, I I actually think Michael would like that. I think that yeah. as we move in this new landscape of having things premiere on Netflix or uh, whatever streaming service, that's the type of movie where I actually would feel more obliged to watch it if it were at home rather than like get in the car, drive up to the theater, find yeah. a seat and do all that. Yeah. Like you don't always want to make the commitment for that type of thing. If you, it's not reaching out to you to begin with. Oh, wait, I, I got to also mention my, uh, my second favorite moment of the whole year. Um, if you got, if I could like step out of my own body and like, look at me, um, as I was recording some of these podcasts, I don't think I will ever get the image out of my mind of me with my head down on my desk, my hands over my face, and listening to you guys talk about how La La Land was going to just steamroll everything, and then me saying stuff like, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, why is this I happening? Know. I don't understand. Fucking Moonlight, guys. And, you know, it's like, I just remember like feeling so... Not depressed, but like I, I just was upset that I felt like Moonlight was just being tossed to the side, you know. And so, ah, oh, the elation and the joy, and just the overall feeling of that movie, uh, pulling it out in the end. And uh, and you fucking stuck with it, man. Even up to our final uh, predictions episode with Marshall Flores, you were just like, "But what if?" And we're like, "Fuck off, Matt. It's not going to happen." I know because all the signs were like there. Sometimes, sometimes there is a point where gut instinct does come in with predicting the Oscars. You just feel it in your gut. I felt that way about Spotlight. Like, you know, like, Spotlight had the statistics against it, but I was just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen with Spotlight. Yeah, and you would have beaten me because I was predicting The Revenant that year. Uh, well, we can go back in time, I guess. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I've got one more moment that just killed me, which was when uh, Matt started crying. He was laughing so hard because Josh and I kept making fun of, like, Palpatine's do it on the air. So we were doing, like, the, ga- <laughs> the Game Grumps thing. We were like, stew it. Screw it. <laughs> I knew it, you know? <laughs> and and Matt literally started crying on the other end because we kept these going. It went on for like five minutes straight. That was a beautiful. I'd, I'd never heard that before, but just the way you guys were saying it and how you seemingly were finding new ways to like <laughs> say it too was the thing that just kept on getting to me. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments from all of this is actually one. I'm sorry to say this, Matt, that caused a little bit of pain. And that is every time I praise Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> we, we, st- we still hate that, Mike. That causes me pain, too. I'm in so much pain right now. I'll tell right you, right now, it is, it is September 2nd right now, and Beauty and the Beast is still my second favorite film of the year. You're fired. Get off the show. I adore it with all my heart. It's coming to Netflix in a few weeks. I can't wait. So, actually, it's coming to Netflix around the same time La La Land comes to HBO. So, that's just going to be like a Michael Schwartz marathon weekend. If you were a real fan, you would have bought it on Blu-ray months ago. Exactly. I don't buy Blu-rays. I don't buy movies anymore. (laughs) I go on vacation. (laughs) Mike, I respect that. And it's funny because I don't go on vacation because I buy buy Blu-rays. So, there you go. I prefer what Mike does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. Kate Bailey Jotha, I really, really do appreciate uh, that question that you sent in there because... Oh, it's so nice to just think back on all that we've been through over this last year. Do you guys remember when the Oscar season ended and how 
sort of distraught I was that I felt like we were entering into like this lull period where like virtually nothing was going to come out. We weren't going to have like anything to talk about. It goes by very fast though. Yeah. Because like March, you're still on the high from the Oscars. April and May, you're prepping for what the summer season is going to be. And then the summer, there's like a new release every week. And now here we are in early September. Yeah. And you know, I was very, very, um, I was very impressed with just how spread out things seem to be this year in terms of, you know, I would say like the worst time of the year was probably January, February in terms of new releases. And then once you got into like March and you had uh, films like Logan, next thing you know, you have stuff like Beauty and the Beast, (laughs) The Big Sick, that movie that Michael likes, you know, it's just, you know. It seemed like there was something to definitely always talk about, and I always and I kept having this feeling that I didn't think we were going to, um, but here we are, and you know we're fifty four episodes in now, you know. So I mean, it's very impressive and it's very heartwarming to see, and I'm just very very proud of it all together. Plus, we should also note that we had Next Best Theater with our great co hosts Nicole and Dan. Yes, and we're still doing a Next Best series. Yes. You know, I mean, Will and I decided to uh, review all of season seven of Game of Thrones, and that wrapped up recently. Uh, we're also going to be having an upcoming episode predicting the Emmys, and then another episode where we will also talk about the ceremony itself. I have a friend who's working the ceremony, which is pretty cool. My girlfriend's roommate is actually working the Emmys, which is pretty sick. No idea if she's allowed to talk about them, but... On air, but I'm going to try to make that happen. Good for her, I guess. <laughs> That's cool, right? <laughs> I, 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 if, hey, listen, if I'm not there, do I care? I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's how I feel right now about all of the film festivals that are happening right now. That's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. I, I am, I'm very disappointed that I cannot be at all of these festivals. But I'll say this much about the film festivals. Do you guys know how much I would grow gray hairs if I had to choose between two screenings happening at the same time? I don't think my, I don't think I would be able to handle it because I know last night people had to choose between seeing Lady Bird or Darkest Hour, and while eventually they would get to another one, you know, at some point it's just like that's ah oh, that's so tough. <laughs> the nice thing about these festivals though is that they play more than one, so if you miss it on one night, you have an opportunity maybe the next day. Honestly, though, sure. when I went to Sundance, like, I was there two weeks, and at the end of the day, it's still hard to finagle everything, and there were films I had to wait, like, seven months to see, so, you know, it's not always. I think Matt could leave a situation like that, having his sanity chiseled away. Just completely gone. <laughs> You're like Cape uh, Blanchett at the end of Blue Jasmine, just sitting on a park bench, wondering yeah. what's happening. I want to um, continue with the fan questions right now before we dive into the festivals, actually. I know that would be normally a perfect segue for me, but um, I, I definitely want to get to everybody's questions because we do have a lot to go through here. Uh, Toby Hill asks, uh, and this is kind of like a game almost, um, if Best Picture was a straight 10 on the sliding scale for the last six years, so from 2011 on, uh, which films would fill up those slots? And I, lo- I love this question. I-, I will always continue to answer this question, even if we get this multiple times. Um, because to me, I think about this all the time. Oh, same. You know, t- 2011 is the artist to Descendants Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close to help Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. 
So which film do you think would have gotten in uh, for the 10th slot if it was 10? Obviously, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, because it had every single guild, you know, DGA, PGA, WGA. Uh, It got in against the odds, the Best Actress nomination for Rooney Mara, and it won editing. I think, like, that's, that's a clear choice right there. Yeah, I I agree. I do I do definitely agree with with you on this for sure. Um, this was a year of nine, so I think that would have been it. I would argue, and correct me if I'm wrong. I would argue that the next slot, uh, right below that, is either one of two films. It's either Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, or and bear with me on this, it's a separation. See, I could see them a little further down, but after Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I would say Bridesmaids. Yeah, it did have, it had SAG, it had uh, PGA, you know, WGA. I, I have to go with Mike, with Mike on this one, actually. In the, okay. In the system that gave us District 9 in the blind side, it would have given us this, too. Well, it's very interesting, because in 2012, we did have a foreign film actually nominated for Best Picture, and also ended up winning the foreign language film category. So we had... Argo, Amor, Beast of the Seven Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings, and Zero Dark Dirty. That's an awesome year. Oh, I love that year so much. Once again, a year of nine. Um, this was, yeah, this was pretty incredible. Uh, all the films that were nominated for Best Director ended up getting their films into Best Picture. I, man, I would have to say The Master. Oh, I disagree, actually. Believe it or not, uh, Matt, I think under the system that would give us 10 nominees that favored films that didn't necessarily have to get a certain number of votes. Yeah, I think it'd be Skyfall. Yeah, because Skyfall had the PGA. Skyfall got most of the guilds. Like it also had five nominations and two wins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Skyfall. You're right. Skyfall should have been in there. Yeah, it probably should have actually. (laughs) I love that movie. It's fantastic. Should have won uh, cinematography. God damn it. Next year in 2013, 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, Wolf of Wall Street. I could make an argument for, I would say, Inside Lewin Davis. No, because that didn't even get a screenplay nomination. What about Blue Jasmine? That's what I think, Blue Jasmine. Like, because it, ha- it had the screenplay nomination. I think it got PGA. Did it? It did. It, it got PGA, yeah. I believe I mean, it, it won did. Best Actress. And Sally Hawkins got that surprise Hawkins, nomination. Yeah. I-, I would probably go with that. What about... Uh, this is going to be... This is going to sound insane. What about Frozen? No, absolutely not. But riding the wave that it had that year, that momentum was huge. Well, if it were still under the system from like 2009 and 2010, where Up and Toy Story 3 got in... If there had been a little more of a push behind it, I could see that happening. Okay. But uh, it wouldn't be out of the question. No, yeah. All right, now this is going to be good, because this year we have uh, two now. So 2014, Birdman, American Sniper, Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Selma, Fury of Everything, Whiplash. First one, right off the top of my head, Foxcatcher. Right, you got everything except picture. It had fucking director, yes. Yeah. It would make sense to say Interstellar for the next no. one because it had nominations. No, it but, would but, make but, sense. But I'm not going to say it. No, because it underperformed. It underperformed. No, it didn't really. It got all the texts it was supposed to get. Yeah, really. but I mean, underperformed throughout the season. And Hoity didn't get in for cinematography. Um, 
Yeah, what I think like the two films that consistently overperformed in all the guilds were Ex Machina and Night. Wrong year. That was the next year. Oh right, right, right. Nightcrawler. Night Nightcrawler was 2014 though. Nightcrawler would not have gotten in if Jake Gyllenhaal would have been in Best Actor. I would have said Nightcrawler. I'm telling you, I I think it would have been Interstellar. I'm not I'm not kidding. Mm. I mean, what else are you gonna put up there, Mr. Turner? I I almost want to say Mr. Turner, but it missing screenplay is a little weird. Right. Um. I would I would have to go based on the strength of the. Of the text, you know? What about Wild? Maybe. Wild got what? Wild got two acting nominations and that was it. And right? it got a screenplay. No, no, it missed screenplay nomination. Yeah. No, it yeah. Got, but it did get Laura Dern, which yeah. is a surprise. Yeah. So, okay, maybe Wild. Uh, uh, I still think the case is stronger for Interstellar. I know that that movie is not fantastic, but I it had its supporters. So, uh, 20, 2015. What a, what a freaking year this was. Spotlight, Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, Ex Machina, and Carol. Well, this is easy. Carol and Ex Machina. Yeah, but if it, yeah, and probably Ex Machina because it had that surprise win. But there's also an argument to be made for Straight Outta Compton, which I, I, had... You know what I was really going to say? You wanna, we want to talk about uh, an argument that needs to be made. The fact that people within the industry were willing to try and make Star Wars a Best Picture nominee is insane. It wasn't far off. But, like, yeah, the whole no, Critics' it, Choice thing was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, That yeah. was ridiculous just because of the politics of how it I played mean, out. It, it missed the PGA. You know, once that happened, it was fucked. But straight out of Compton, like, I, I'm going to... I think over Ex Machina would have gotten in because it was nominated for original screenplay, got the SAG Ensemble nomination, got a PGA nomination, AFI nomination... Uh, let's uh, showed up at a number of critics awards, motion picture sound editors, uh, you know, like WGA. This was, I, I think it would have been Compton, Compton and Carol. Okay. Okay. And of course, last year, I mean, we talked about this to death last year in regards to which film would have gotten in, uh, as the 10th slot. Cause last year was nine, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So last year was nine. So I guess it would be Jackie maybe. I think we were all in agreement it would have been Jackie. Yeah. If my memory serves me correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it's got to be Jackie. Yeah, because you look at the nomination tally and uh, there's nothing else that really... I bet if it was like OJ. <laughs> 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 uh, Freaking OJ. Remember man. when Scott Feinberg had that predicted? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I, I love when people uh, predict stuff early and it's like so out there and so ridiculous. But if they're right... They get all the credit for being right, you know? Yeah. While most people, like myself, I, I tend to play it very safe with my predictions, so. Uh, all right, great, great question. I really thank you Trip for that Trip down one. memory lane. Uh, this one comes from Josh Blumenkrantz at McBlooster118. This question might even be better served for Michael, uh, specifically. Which Oscar winner do you think deserves to be an EGOT? Oh, okay. Uh, going through the list. Believe it or not, Julie Andrews doesn't have a Tony, and that's all she needs to become an EGOT. 
That is pretty amazing. That's actually wild. She would have won actually, but when she was nominated for Victor Victoria about twenty years ago, she declined the nomination because nobody else was nominated from her show, and she felt uncomfortable being the only representative. I think that's the only clear answer. She should. Oh my god, that's outrageous. Julie Andrews. uh, John Williams doesn't have an egot. He's missing a Tony. What? Barbara Streisand is missing a Tony. Martin Scorsese is missing a Tony. Yeah, Scorsese should just go direct to play. I would love a play directed by Scorsese. That sounds awesome. If he were to do something with De Niro, because believe it or not, you know the movie A Bronx Tale that De Niro directed? Yeah. So he directed the Broadway version that's currently playing. Oh, wow. So if he has, if he has experience, maybe he directs another show and Scorsese produces it. Sure. There we go. Ideas are flowing. If Scorsese ends up directing a play, I just want there to be, uh, as part of the set, a, a movie theater uh, screen, like in the background, because you know Scorsese can't resist showing images <laughs> on a <the> screen. <laughs> you know, but if you go to Grammys, you have people like Viola Davis, uh, Jessica Lange, Francis McDormand, Liza Minnelli, Helen Mirren. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you just read a book and there you go. Uh, okay, this one comes from Matt St. Clair, Film Guy 619. Which early bird, that's in parentheses, uh, quotations rather which early bird performances this year do you think have the potential to gain traction this award season holly hunter i think that ship has set sail i mean unless if critics can bring her back i i you know the unfortunate thing about the big stick is that it didn't do the box office it needed to do i think it did pretty well didn't it hit like 40 or 50 million yes but i i know some people were expecting it to be a true breakout hit and it's still yeah, like a hundred million or something i think it's still the biggest indie success of the year so far but no get out is yeah yeah i guess get out is the prime example yeah so actually in fact daniel kalua is somebody that could could potentially uh get a boost from critics for the globes yeah but i don't think he'll get nominated i mean if we're talking about people who will show up but not get nominated i mean jackman will show up somewhere he just won't get an oscar nomination oh yeah people are definitely going to go for jackman that's i think that's confirmed yeah pretty much wait so let's go back to holly hunter for just a second you really don't think that's happening I i still think she can get in i have her in my predictions i personally do not when the film starts showing up in screenplay categories it'll be like grand budapest and they'll be reminded it exists and I think that'll be enough to help her. Plus, you could see her getting a random SAG nomination, and then everyone's like, oh, fuck, we forgot about this performance, and then it... Yeah, I'm just... I just don't... I don't see that... Okay, maybe maybe 15% of me sees it happening, because if the Big Sick does contend at the Oscars for picture, screenplay... I almost feel like it needs something else. Otherwise, it's a complete bust. Trying to think, what else did we have earlier this year? Uh, well, we said Jackman. We talked about Get Out. We talked about Big Sick. Uh, Andy, Andy Circus. <laughs> I mean, so I guess now is as good a time to mention it as any. We talked about this off air, but it's not going to go anywhere. But Fox is planning one of the biggest Oscar campaigns they've ever mounted for Planet of the Apes. And Circus is at the center of that. They're going to push very, very hard to get that film attention this year. It will not be nominated for anything above the line, I don't think. But more power to them. I mean, if they want to try to get that nom for Circus, I would love to see it happen. Yeah, if uh, to me, I hope that they don't view it missing picture as a defeat. If they can get Circus in, that is the win. Like, that is the... 
That is the win for them. That is the the fruit of their labor, and so I, to speak. Honestly, I like that film. I don't think it should be a Best Picture nominee either. No. No. But, like, a circus nom would be very deserved. Yeah, 100%. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm totally blanking on one that I should have named right off the bat. Mark Rylance and Dunkirk. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm still not totally sold on that happening, and I think... I, as the season goes on and we get farther and farther away from Dunkirk, more and more people are going to be like, huh, we shouldn't have piled on and eviscerated Matt Neglia because he said it wasn't going to happen. You know, it, there are people bumping him out of like the top tier. Like we saw Ben Mendelsohn last night at a Telluride make a play. So he might not be in that top tier contender slot anymore, but I definitely think he's still in the mix. Oh, yeah, he's still in the mix, but he's not he's not going to get the nomination. I I still stand by this (laughs) until I see him getting in at BFCA SAG and BAFTA. He ain't getting in. (laughs) So that's my, that's my take on this. It's just too small of a performance from too long ago and other contenders are definitely going to pop up. I just don't see it happening at this stage. Um, Although from what I understand, lean on Pete uh, debuted uh, last night and, I heard Buscemi is not a thing. No, he's apparently he plays just typical Buscemi's being a bit of a snarky asshole. Yeah, before. it's not it's not the type that's going to get a nomination. And, you know, with that and the Glass Castle not getting the reception that it needed, although Harrelson could still pull a Robert Duvall and the judge and still overcome those reviews and get in, um, that field is definitely looking thinner and thinner. So who knows? Maybe. Uh, what the hell is his name from uh, Will Poulter from Detroit could really manage to get Oh, that in. movie's roadkill. <laughs> but hey, listen, you talk about something from uh, earlier in the year that maybe is still within the top 10, top 15 for an acting performance. I think Poulter will continue to be part of the conversation if that field continues to uh, get thinned out, so to speak. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, maybe Cynthia Nixon for A Quiet Passion. Maybe at uh, Gotham. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that happening, <laughs> but who knows? Any any other performances from earlier in the year, guys? Uh, I haven't seen Good Time yet. Is there any chance Patterson could contend? I know he got. Very- oh, he'll get a critics not uh mention here or there. Uh, his performance is quite good, I think. But it's not the type that'll make a dent in any of the big Oscar or no. Globe circuits. Or no way. Like Same goes for Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, career best performance from her, but not getting a nomination. If we start to see uh, Sally Hawkins pop up for Shape of Water during Critics Awards, I could see them giving her recognition for Maudie as well. Oh, yeah, for both performances? Yeah. Sure. That sounds like uh, something Los Angeles uh, film critics could do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because she's actually terrific in Maudie. And if she didn't have Shape of Water, there's a chance she still would be nominated for this. Ah. (laughs) My Philadelphia (laughs) accent coming out. Again, I don't think that would happen for Maudie. I think that film's too small. Maybe like a Globe versus a Critic. We'll yeah, an see. obscure Globe nomination sounds about right, but not going all the way to Oscar, though. Uh, Al Robinson, if you could go to one Hollywood premiere this fall, which film would it be and why? I mean, it, probably The Post, right? Because, like, everyone in the industry is in it. I would go see The Post just for the Q&A afterwards. Uh, yeah, that too. Like, I, I think I might have, like, heart failure seeing all of that, you know, <laughs> star magnitude in the same room. Oh, yeah. And not to mention the Q&A would be fascinating in this political climate right now. But, yeah, I mean, that sheer cast plus Spielberg, holy shit. Yeah, who could argue with that? 
okay. Now, guys, I don't know if you remember. You definitely remember. What am I saying? Josh Parham sent in uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, this thing where he did, like, director swaps, where if uh, directors directed other people's movies. And it got some pretty good reactions from the fandom. And this week, Josh Parham sent in uh, another one, again, with swaps. Only this time, it is with classic Hollywood film stars in the role of modern parts. So, we're going to be picking between the film performance that you would rather see. And we're going to have to imagine uh, the actor playing that role at the peak of their career. Or when they're younger, or just the ideal version, I guess you could say. Okay? Let's do it. Are you guys ready for this one? This is going to be fun. So, would you rather see Peter O'Toole as Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood? Or Montgomery Clift as Lee Chandler in Manchester by the Sea? Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Peter O'Toole. I mean, that, that role is just so juicy. You know, and that role is just so, ah, it's like limitless in its possibilities of what it can give an actor. Sidney Poitier as Juan in Moonlight or Catherine Hepburn as Jasmine in Blue Jasmine? Ooh. Hepburn. Hepburn, yeah. Hepburn. Once again, I think it has everything to do with the role itself, you know? Yeah. Because Juan is just such an understated role as portrayed by Mahershala. Um... Yeah, uh, yeah, Hepburn. Judy Garland as Mia in La La Land or Ingrid Bergman as Gerda in The Danish Girl? Oh, my God. Judy Garland. I, I don't want to see anything about the, the Danish Girl anytime soon, so I guess Garland. <laughs> and what's really interesting about Garland is not only is that performance inspired by A Star is Born a little bit, but there are also touches of Scorsese's New York, New York, which starred Judy Garland's daughter, Liza Minnelli. Wow. That's Damn. what Damien Chazelle has inspired uh, that romance. Now, this one, this is interesting. Humphrey Bogart as Riggin in Birdman or Elizabeth Taylor as Nina Sires in Black Swan? Ooh, Elizabeth Taylor. Give me that. Uh, there's something about Bogart's... Uh, yeah, I... But I'm also a fan of those big, over-the-top performances. And you know Elizabeth Taylor would do that performance like she would yeah. turn it up to 11, as they say. She, she would be pretty tap. perfect, I think, in that, too. But I, I love I love Bogart, so I'm, I'm going yeah, with that. Yeah, I, I would love to see Bogey in anything. That would be a fascinating role for, like, kind of past his prime Bogey. That would be... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Of all the movie sets in the world, Edward Norton comes to mine. <laughs> no, we're not doing this. You just had to do a long take through mine. Betty Davis as Amy Dunn in Gone Girl. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, or Marlon Brando as Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if Brando could have nailed the comedic nature of that role. He's so intense. Uh, Plus, who else could do that besides Christoph? Yeah, I, I literally, you know, Christoph Waltz has proved he, he's kind of limited since then. But I think he was born to play that role. I don't think anyone could have been Hans Landa other than him. So I guess. Well, I mean, Tarantino wrote the role to be unfilmable. You know, he didn't think an actor could portray it. So the fact that he was able to pull it off is somewhat of a miracle in, in many ways. I'm going to say Betty Davis here. Yeah. But I sort of want to change part of it going back to the TV show Feud, Betty and Joan. I want to see Joan Crawford as Amy. Oh, Jesus. 
Oh man, that would be that would be a lot of fun. But I, I too am picking Betty Davis here because she's a little chillier. I still to this day wonder what Leonardo DiCaprio would have done in Inglorious Bastards as Hans. Was Wanda. she supposed to be what? I haven't yeah. heard that. That's bizarre. Yeah, Tarantino wanted uh, DiCaprio originally. Oh my god! I got him a few years later. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe as Tiffany in Silver Linings Playbook, or James Dean as the Joker in The Dark Knight. Marilyn Monroe. I don't really like either of those, but I guess Monroe. No one else. I say Monroe because in a movie like Some Like It Hot, not only does she show a comedic side, but she has a vulnerability to her that's necessary for that character. Is Monroe playing this role as a brunette or as a blonde? Blonde. James Dean is the Joker. I just, I I don't buy Monroe in that role. I, I think that would just take me out of the movie. I wouldn't be able to escape the fact that I'm watching Marilyn Monroe. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be able to see a character, I guess. I don't know. Um, plus, James Dean was taken away from us too soon. I, I would have liked to have seen both him were. just expand his range. Uh, yeah, I suppose. But Marilyn Monroe had, uh, I believe, more credits to her name than James Dean did, at least. Dean had, what, like four? Like yeah, something total? like that. Yeah. So. Okay, you guys ready to review this week's trailer let's do it all right so this is mark felt the man who brought down the white house it is directed by peter landsman who uh directed concussion tell the truth (laughs) sorry i just had to throw that in there uh it is starring liam neeson as mark felt aka deep throat has a cast that also includes diane lane Tony goodwin uh michael c hall tom sizemore i mean just bruce greenwood this is a very very expansive cast Let's take a look at this one. Whenever the FBI hears a piece of gossip or information such as, I saw so-and-so out with another woman, not his wife, we're supposed to write everything down in memos. All your secrets are safe with us. How long have you been in the FBI? 30 years. That's a lot of information. I give you the guardian of the American dream. Mark Phelps. Fidelity, integrity, bravery. Ladies and gentlemen, the G-Man's G-Man. What is it? You better get down here. Five men were caught early this morning in the Washington headquarters of the Democratic National Committee. Here's what we know. The men who broke into the Watergate are not the end of this thing, but the beginning. No, no more interviews with White House people without permission. What? We put the investigation to bed in two days. The director of the FBI ordered the FBI to stop its own investigation. The nation tonight is in the midst of what may be the most critical constitutional crisis in its history. The White House has no authority over the FBI. We can at all. All this truth must be terrified of you. No one can stop the driving force of an FBI investigation. Not even the FBI. What you're doing will bring down the whole house of cards. Washington Post. This comes from classified FBI files. The White House has it, and now you have it. FBI agents have established Watergate incident as political sabotage. There's a spy in the FBI. The White House is gonna sanitize the entire town. How high? How high does this go? What about the president? Is the president lying? They're all lying. There's a nickname for you at the paper. Deep Throat. 
Okay, general thoughts? What do we think here? Uh, it looks more compelling than concussion, probably because, you know, when you take on the President of the United States, there are more legitimate stakes and threats to your life than taking on the NFL. Uh, so it feels more weighty. Uh, that being said, it looks like a solid thriller. I don't see it going anywhere near the Oscars. Yeah, agreed. This looks very entertaining and informative. It'll be a great story to see on screen just because it's so fascinating to begin with. But uh, I don't think it's going to break out of what we call the art house mold. Just play to this adult audience for a few weeks and then just go to television. Oh, you know what I do like is the, uh, I mean, I, it may just be that this is exactly what it in fact looked like, but I like how it seems to me there's a visual all the President's Men reference in the parking deck that they're meeting Woodward and Bernstein in. Or I guess it's just Bernstein. You know, it's it's the same blue tint. It looks like the exact same parking deck they used for all the presence men. So that imagine mi- if they uh, <laughs> just <laughs> imagine if they brought in uh, freaking Dustin Hoffman and uh, Robert Redford. <laughs> they used a de aging CGI oh, to God. make them look like <laughs> their younger selves. Oh God! Could you imagine how meta that would be? I would. I would hate that. That that would take me out of the movie so much. Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the one to say it on this show. I I think this is going to be dull, predictable, and boring. Well, we know how it ends, and we've seen this story told already, and then we'll see it told again. I mean, But I think these films are very tough to pull off because you almost need to create drama from a scenario where nobody was killed and it's all through, like, threatening and, you know intimidation and it, it to me i think that, that runs the risk of the drama feeling manufactured because it's a movie and we need it to have high stakes and it could just come off as hokey yeah they kind of do that with spotlight where in spotlight you know like they'll come after you and then the you just the phone rings and there's nothing on it and they hype that that's, up that was actually my number one complaint about spotlight actually yeah that is my number one complaint they build it up and then nothing happens like that scene where um his son is going down the street or no no he realizes that down the street uh the like the pedophile lives and he like gets frantic and he runs back to the house and stuff and it's like i don't know just to me that's not the most compelling thing, I guess. Maybe because there really isn't life or death stakes involved and there actually is no outcome to the drama. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But just the fact that it's lingering there isn't enough? Sometimes yes. Um, sometimes no for me. I think that might just also be due to the fact that um, my brain has, you know, seen so much in cinema and television where stakes are always life and death. It's always about life and death, you know? That when we get something that's just purely threatening, but you know it's not going to kill them. It, it, it I don't know, it just doesn't ring as true to me. Yeah, I mean, your mileage might vary with the tech material depending on uh, what you know about history, how much you care about it. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the movie opens later this month. Yeah, and I also don't think that Liam Neeson, as good as he probably is in this, I don't think he's going to be a contender either. No, I don't think so. I'm sure it'll be a good performance. I mean, yeah. maybe like a 60% of Rotten Tomatoes type of thing. It'll have its fans. D- does the Irish accent kind of like throw you off, though? A little bit, but I think if you turn into the character, like you don't have to have every little mannerism down. As long as you're conveying who the person is, I think that could be enough. Sure. 
Okay, well, that will pretty much just about do it there for our thoughts on Mark Felt. Uh, I wish we had more to say, but there really doesn't seem to be that much more to say. Uh, I kind of do like the visual aesthetic, though. Um, I will I will throw that out there. I do kind of like the, the blue, cold, you know, steel gray, like, you know what I mean? Cinematography yeah. that's on display here. And then we should say the movie premieres at uh, Toronto, so we'll hear some reactions within a week or so. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. It'll be uh, coming up just before you know it. All right, with that said now, so we've answered some fan questions, done a trailer review breakdown. Uh, we should probably talk about this week's poll, actually. We should review the results of last week and then also talk about what's going on for this week. So, Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> it works. Yeah, so uh, last week's poll, we asked everybody uh, which was uh, the film that you were most looking forward to for this award season. We got the most amount of votes that we have ever received for a poll. Ooh. I want to thank everybody for that. Leading the way with 16.33% of the vote. Anyone want to take a guess which film won the poll? Blade Runner 2049. Nope. Star Wars. Nope. Last guess. Something of actual artistic merit. This is exciting. Is it Call Me By Your Name? Nope. The readers have spoken, and the number one film that most people are looking forward to this award season is Mother. Oh, uh, what? Really? That's yep. a shocker. Mm-hmm. That, I wouldn't, that wouldn't even be like my top five guesses. And then in number two, with 15.14%, just narrowly missing the number one, was Call Me By Your Name. Uh, see, that makes more sense. God damn, I didn't know that many people were hyped for Mother. And then uh, in third place was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Where was the post? Uh, the post. The post. The post was tied for fourth place with the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson film. All right. Oh, and also tied with The Florida Project. I think that one's going to pick back up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I do when too. It, or actually next week when it screens at Toronto. Uh, the films that got zero votes were, oh, Marshall. <laughs> Mar Marshall didn't get any votes. That's sad. <laughs> so Marshall is actually premiering at a festival, uh, not Toronto or Telluride, anything like that. I think it's uh, one of the African-American film festivals coming up. Oh, that's cool. And we, we also had eight write-ins, too. Uh, Disaster Artist got two mentions via write-in. Uh, we had write-in for Wonder Wheel. Wind River, which I guess that hasn't come out in their area or something. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Somebody wrote in Woodshock. 
And this, this is my favorite one. Somebody wrote in Tulip Fever. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, everyone, so much for casting your votes on this week's poll and making it our most successful poll yet. I really do appreciate that. This week's poll, because the new uh, film, the remake, or I, I don't know if it's like an adaptation or remake or what it is, but the Stephen King film, It, is coming out next weekend. So we're asking everyone for this week's poll, which Stephen King film adaptation is your favorite? And the choices that we have are 1408, Apt Pupil, Carrie, Children of the Corn, The Dark Tower, The Dead Zone, Dreamcatcher, The Green Mile, Misery, The Mist, Pet Cemetery, The Running Man, Secret Window, The Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, Stand By Me, Edner is also a write-in option. So what are the chances the Shawshank Redemption does not win this? Uh, I could see it not winning. I could probably see something like Stand By Me maybe, you know, winning winning the whole thing. Maybe, or The Shining, I guess. But let's not forget that is the most popular movie in IMDb history. So Yeah. Uh, Anyone... Michael, I, I guarantee the answer is no. Anyone looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm. Uh, wait, I'm absolutely looking forward to what, it. What? I just short circuited. What? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but I'm doing some work in my community for the movie since the author or the screenwriter grew up here. No, that's, that's Annabelle too. <laughs> yeah, the same screenwriter. Oh, he did both. Yes, his name is Gary Dalberman. It's always about location biasness when for Michael. Not only that, but it's getting excellent reviews. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm very, very impressed. Yeah, but like The Witch got excellent reviews and you didn't check that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this looks like more. The Witch had nothing to do with Philadelphia, though, Will. Let's be clear. (laughs) No, it has that suburban feel. It's like it's more tailored to my interests. Put it that way. Oh, my God. Well, I don't want to upset your high standard interests. Excuse (laughs) me. I'm a coastal elitist and don't forget it. Any event, though, I'm, I'm still shocked and surprised that you're actually going to end up seeing it. Um, we'll oh see if, you'll, if you like it in the end, though. I would have seen it regardless if it didn't have the Philadelphia connection. I've been looking forward to that for a while. So why the hell didn't you see The Witch? I saw The Witch. I saw it opening night. Oh, you we did? had this discussion. I tend to forget about this with you. I we don't talked know, about it many times. I gave it a B plus. Yeah, we, we talk about this often, actually, and I always forget it with you. I don't know why. I think I... I don't know. You have a stereotype of Michael Schwartz. I just have my, mind. you know what it is? I have my own perception of Michael Schwartz, and it, 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 I've created my own reality. You won't let the facts just... get in the way. All right, Donald Trump. <laughs> so, in otherwise, Matt Naglia loves the stereotype. There we go. <laughs> there's, there's enemies on both sides. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Too soon. I know. It's terrible. Piece of shit. Anyways. I don't want to get political. We'll have plenty of time to do that when the political films come out this uh, winter. Now is the time to announce the new spinoff, Next Best Primary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, now we're going to just break down some of the news this week. As we know, the film festival's dropped, and there's a lot to really dissect from that. Uh, Will Mavity, why don't you kindly take us through what's been going on over the last week? So before I get into the festival stuff, I'll just mention other news. Uh, Aiden Gillen, who has I'm everybody's exited Game of Thrones. Yeah, so Aiden Gillen has uh, departed from Game of Thrones. We'll say that, and his first big role is going to be be playing famed author James Joyce in a film soon, which is kind of cool. Uh, John Bernthal has joined the ever expanding and endlessly impressive cast of Damien Chazelle's First Man about Neil Armstrong. 
Speaking of great casts, Sam Rockwell will playing be playing W for uh, Adam McKay's Dick Cheney film. Apparently, speaking of that movie, Christian Bale is a Telluride and has gained so much weight that people were talking to him without knowing it was him. That's wild. I saw Tapley wrote something about that. That's so crazy. Um, t- speaking of transformative performances... Apparently, DiCaprio and Todd Phillips, or uh, Scorsese and Todd Phillips, want DiCaprio to play the Joker in one of the many upcoming horrible Joker films. Not so, gonna happen. Yeah, no, let, knock it off. Let's let's hope not. DiCaprio will never whore himself like that. Let's hope not. He's. He, I think Tapley was the one who pointed out he's the last A-list star who's yet to join a franchise. So, uh, Paul Bettany has joined. Now Ron Howard's Han Solo movie, just after Michael K. Williams left. And then we have the internet getting nice and unhappy because the What Maisie News screenwriter and director team have announced a Lord of the Flies remake with an all-female cast, which was poorly received since the source material is supposed to be about toxic masculinity. And then finally, Ben Affleck is going to be starring in an Afghanistan war film called Red Platoon about the Battle of Kamdesh in 2009 with a heroic Staff Sergeant Romesha who received Congressional Medal of Honor rescuing quite a few people during the firefight. He'll be played by Casey Affleck. So this is their first team up together since Gone Baby Gone. Hopefully it's good. And then... yeah, you know, like he needs a hit. It's been a it's been a very bad twelve months for him. Yeah, I know, but it, that just doesn't sound like it. Yeah, he needs to just reevaluate what he's doing. Yes. So the big news, obviously, is that both Venice and Telluride are going on right now. We've had the Shape of Water premiere to raves, absolute raves, praising my uh everything. Sally Hawkins, <laughs> yeah, everything, praising Sally Hawkins. Praising Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, praising the cinematography, the production design, the score. I think it's going to be a strong contender. The Academy may not overcome its genre bias to give it an above-the-line win. I think they could because it's kind of like a Beauty and the Beast sort of story. I think they're. I think they might. I, yeah, I think it's it's going to be. You know, like the way things are looking, I see it being a top three contender at least. Oh sure. I mean, the big question on my mind is right now. Based upon, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead here, Will, but Darkest Hour also premiered yes. uh, last night at Tell You Right as well. And Joe Wright got some tremendous notices for that film as well. I'm just very, very curious. Um, let's let's imagine, let's assume Darkest Hour is your best picture front runner right now. Let's just assume that, okay? Through that lens, if Darkest Hour were to theoretically win best picture and Gary Oldman were to win best actor... Who wins Best Director right now? Christopher Nolan, Guillermo del Toro, or Joe Wright? I would assume under those circumstances, I guess splits are no longer uncommon, but I still hesitate to predict them. I still think that something like The Darkest Hour where the direction is flashy, by all accounts it is, according to the reviews, I think Wright takes that as well. You know, like, because... Obviously not always, but generally you see these splits when the best picture winner is not as flashy as what ultimately wins best director. You know, like Steve McQueen's direction is excellent in 12 Years a Slave, but it's not in your face like Quad Owns was. And the same goes 
for, you know, a spotlight versus the revenant, you know, situations like that, or yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with those for starters. But yes, yeah, so I, I still think under those circumstances, it would be right in Darkest Hour. But we've talked about these raves for Darkest Hour. I will say Hollywood Reporter was more mixed, and I think some films, uh, some reviewers will be more mixed and find it too typical to give it the win. But the biggest thing is I do not think this film will ever win Best Picture because of the internet. Because the minute this film starts being in a situation where it is the perceived front runner, people start turning against it. And in this case, there is a ready-made narrative to fuck it. And that is the fact that Winston Churchill was very, very, very racist and, um, you know, oversaw some horrendous acts in the Boer War, etc., etc., concentration camps underneath him. Those things, if it becomes a, if it gets put in a front-runner spot, nowadays you're always going to get controversy if you're in that spot, and that is what this film's controversy will be. People will start remembering the things that they don't like about Winston Churchill, and that will end up being enough to keep it from winning. I guarantee it. Hmm. I'm, I'm okay. Like that, that was the most compelling argument I've heard you make in a while. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with you on that. Shit. What do you think about that, Michael? Yeah, well, we've seen this every year where controversy comes to bite a film later on. So maybe not in Best Picture, even though at the moment it does have all the makings of a winner. Like a Telluride premiere, released before December, a large cast ensemble that'll probably work well with SAG. Like on paper, that all sounds about right. But then when you bring up any controversy in the future, we always have to consider that. And also, you got to remember potential nomination leader as well. Even if it gets taken down in Best Picture, with Gary Oldman, I don't think any controversy with that would take away his Best Actor win. No, I think Gary Oldman is the runaway favorite right now. Like, I'm 80% confident that's happening. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it'll stand chance to win at least a couple texts, too, and get a lot of nominations. I just, I don't think it'll be our Best Picture winner, because of the reasons stated above. But Oldman, unless he somehow fucks up on the campaign trail, yeah, I I think he's pretty much a given to win this. Can you imagine if Bruno Delbanel wins uh, Cinematography? Oh, yeah, I thought about that. That would be so goddamn funny. Uh, it actually wouldn't be fun. It'd be horrible because poor Deacons. This is his best chance to win. But it would just be so absurd. It's uh, he's been penciled in all year, and then he loses to just a, uh, you know, an acclaimed period piece again. Oh my god. Well, speaking of cinematography, I think we have a pretty good idea of what that lineup's going to be just based on uh, the festival and the summer. We have Blade Runner, Dunkirk, Darkest Hour, Wonderstruck, Shape of Water. I mean, there's a lineup right there. Yeah, that is potentially a lineup. Um, Shape of Water is one of the ones I would say probably can get in. I think Wonderstruck is definitely getting in. Oh, yeah, they're doing the Ed Lockman tribute at Telluride this weekend. They're really going hard for that. Yeah, the only other one I would say is also in contention, obviously, is uh, Yanis Kaminsky for The Post. So oh, sure. that could bump somebody out, definitely. Uh, and, and let's not forget that you know, in the event it is a big above-the-line contender, Phantom Thread, with PTA as the cinematographer, would be, yeah. you know, potentially that's one that could factor in. 
Uh, if Mother ends up being good, Libetic has been nominated once before, and I've heard that Call Me By Your Name has just lovely, lovely cinematography. Yeah, but if the trailer is any indication, like, it looks well shot, I don't think it's best cinematography material, though. Yeah, the, the trailer did not market it as such, but I'm, I'm not going to entirely write it out. I think it's, like, different shots during montages of them, like, sitting together or riding bikes or See, things I like that. See, I think it's more of a... Uh, Luca Guadagnino's of uh, Avocate. Uh, I can't speak. It's Luca Guadagnino's um, establishment of mood. I think is what people are confusing with the cinematography. It's the feeling that you get while watching it, based upon his direction, not necessarily based upon shot composition, lighting, color, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And hey, uh, you know, Matt saw the trailer for the current war last night, and I think he's convinced that's going to be one of our contenders here. Ugh, God. That dimly lit, odd angles, weird whip pans, uh, that movie just looks gimmicky as fuck when it comes to how it looks shot. Um, I made a joke last night that, and you guys thought Les Rob had bad camera angles, um, no, I didn't. Oh, God, Michael! No, we're not, we're gonna save this for another. We're not show. doing this again. I'm not. I'm not doing this again. That uh, Michael, that movie's horrendously <laughs> shot. We're not gonna. It's not horrendously. It's shot. horrendously it's shot. Just... Oh, it's, oh it's... Jesus! Okay, all right, That's all right. Jesus. Well, of that here, yeah, Michael, here get our Skyfall. No, Skyfall. Wait, wait, Michael, you just said it had better cinematography than, than Skyfall. Than Lincoln. That was a great year, but something has to take the t- number one title. You are out of your fucking mind. We're, we're creating a new moment right now hey, for no, MVP in 2017. No, that was the only time that that worked was doing the cl- But then they shot everything in close-ups. And it's murkily lit. There's unnecessary Dutch angles. You know, oh, God. It, handheld, shaky camp. Fuck, Michael, no. We have to have a little controversy for a one-year show, don't we? Mm, okay, I, I'm going to give Michael the silent treatment for a couple minutes. Uh-huh. Um... <laughs> We also had Suburbicon in Downsizing screen. Downsizing got initial raves at Venice, but when it screened at Telluride, it proved much more divisive to the point that I think it's going to be a tech contender, but I think it'll miss out on best picture, on a Best Picture nomination. I have it right now in Screenplay, Visual Effects, and Supporting Actress. It's not going to get visual effects. No, like Tapley and Feinberg and pretty much everyone who saw the film said it's not a visual effects contender. Okay, taking it out of visual effects then. But Hong Chao is one to consider. I mean, she was an inherent vice in a memorable role. Yeah, I've heard great things about her. And she's really going to break out here. Yeah, and uh, she would be the first Asian acting winner, apparently, according to Sam Coffey in like 60 years, too in the event that narrative really worked out, which is pretty crazy. Or female Asian acting winner, which is pretty crazy. Mm. Wow. And then Suburbicon, I heard, is also about uh, race. Yeah. Something that the trailer did not imply whatsoever. Well, it's inspired by a case that happened in Levittown, Pennsylvania, back in the 50s, about a black family that moved in and all the tension that it created with this uh, suburban group who considered themselves to be liberal and progressive, and then they move in and it sort of blows up the neighborhood. Yeah, I'm just very surprised that the trailers hid this completely. Yeah, the reviews have been, I don't want to say mixed, but just a little more on the positive side, but tepid. You could say mixed, it's okay. No, I don't think they are mixed. I think from what I've read, people seem to like it, but it's not anything that they're writing home about. I think they're trying to temper our expectations in terms of Oscar, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think it does any Oscar nominations aside from maybe production design. But that said, I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, who could resist a Coen Brothers screenplay? Yeah, it's a good point.
Anything else happened at the festivals this week, or? I think those are the only big ones so far. Okay. We're going to have Battle of the Sexes this afternoon, so by the time this goes up, everyone will know how that did. Mm. Watch out for Steve Carell, guys. He's going lead, by the way. Oh, never mind. Don't watch out for Steve Carell anymore, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going lead because they're going to put him supporting for Last Flight of Flying. Which is weird because he looks like the lead in that. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Okay. Well, guess we'll move on from that then. Alrighty. Well, that does it for this week. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, man. I mean, every week we're going to have something really exciting to talk about. Um, I'm getting incredibly hyped for all the movies that are on the horizon right now. Um I wish I was at these festivals. I really do. But New York Film Festival is coming up. I will be there for that. Michael, you're going to a festival, if I recall? I'll be at the Philadelphia Film Festival for at least part of it. Mm -hmm. Will, anything happening out in L.A. for you? Uh, There's things, but I can't necessarily talk about them on air. (laughs) Ah, All right, then. Well, Michael Schwartz, this is the moment I've been waiting for. This is your opportunity to fight with me on the air. You can yell at me. You can say whatever you want to me right now. Is there anything that you want to say to Matt Neglia before we go off air? Anything I want to say to Matt Neglia? Do it, Matt. I think I Kill want him. to thank Matt Neglia oh. for giving me this opportunity over the past year to be a part of Next Best Picture. Should have killed him. One day. This is never going to happen, Matt. You're going to keep trying and trying, and I will remain as civil as possible. <laughs> If anyone's got a career in politics, it's this guy right here. I'll tell you. Hey, uh, you know, Matt was being civil too, Mike. I suggested that he and I just out of the blue start just yelling at you for this episode just to see what would happen without any context. <laughs> Matt Matt has agreed not to do that, so you, you should be thanking him. You are a sick, sick person, Will. Did you enjoy the little clip of my yelling I sent you as a preview for that, Matt? I, 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 I need to know. If I can play it, <laughs> yeah, you you are you are welcome to play it. I I, I you know what? I think I'm gonna do just that. I, I'm gonna play this for everyone. I hope my mic has the ability to pick it up. <laughs> Here is the uh, clip message that Mike uh, that Will sent me the other day. I will fucking massacre you unless you give my client what they want. I will put you up on a goddamn cross like Jesus Christ to die for your fucking sins. Do you understand me? And I will tie your testicles into bow tie fucking pasta. You'll never work in this fucking town again. Jesus Christ, do you hear me? Oh my, Will, you've been out in California, what, a month now? And you've already turned into Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Before I know it, you're going to be hosting tulip fever screenings. I'm not going to lie, if Beauty and the Beast ends up becoming like a potential Oscar like nominee for like best picture and I have no choice but to lay uh, that at the feet of Michael <laughs> Schwartz then that kind of a reaction might happen <laughs> I feel like I feel like Matt and I would both be very good yellers if we really teamed us up together too so yeah M- Mike if it does anything good happens to Beauty and the Beast we will excoriate you how about that well, I'm very scared for the Golden Globes in that case. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, Michael, Will, thank you so, so much. Um, I truly love both of you. NBP would not be what it is without the both of you. And also to, to the other uh, staff writers and contributors to Next Best Picture, I also want to say a personal thank you to you guys as well. So that goes out to Matthew Garrell, David Howitt, Josh Tarpley, Josh Williams, Tommy Barquinero. 
Mike Vermette, and I think that is it. God help me if I'm forgetting somebody right now. Wait, who is the guy who reviewed shitty films for you? He would review all the bad ones. Oh, that's Matthew Garrell. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, I don't, let me tell you something. I don't know how he manages to see it. He sees more films than I do. I, and that is like an accomplishment in and of itself. So kudos to him. Anyways, Michael Schwartz, where can I find you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Will Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. You can find me at Next Best Picture. You can find Next Best Picture on all of the social media networks. Thank you once again, everyone, for listening for a whole year and hopefully for many years to come. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and also CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Your feedback is paramount to the success of this podcast and of this brand. We thank you so, so much. We will see you all next time. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indie. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.